Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. Well, good morning again, everyone. And welcome again to those of you watching at home. I did not introduce myself earlier. My name is Trent. For those of you that I haven't had the privilege to meet yet, I get the honor of being the pastor here. We're going to jump in um, and study God's Word together in Micah chapter 7. Micah chapter 7. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. If you're a user of the Bible app, you can um, open up that app and find our live event and track along the scriptures and sermon notes and stuff are already there. Um, during this time, we've kind of let Micah, the prophet, frame out for us uh, these themes of Advent. And if you haven't been around a church uh, that has celebrated Advent, um, really what these are, these weeks as we lead up to Christmas, they're times of waiting, times of anticipating. And we use these themes, these four different themes, um, to ready our hearts to celebrate Christmas and to remind ourselves uh, of why it is necessary. So a couple of weeks ago... <clears throat> We started, we started with hope. Um, hope, we said, comes when we know uh, that Jesus has, has broken through for us. And we do not um, have to navigate the life that we have on our own. And along the way, we find ourselves that we are not alone. Th those are two really big themes. We're never alone as we walk this life. God is with us. That is what Emmanuel means. God is with us. And that we don't have to figure out how to do this thing on our own. Last week, Jarrett um, preached about peace. And he reminded us uh, that in the smallest of the details, like Bethlehem, this little out-of-the-way podunk town, that God would bring forth from Bethlehem this, this Messiah, this ruler. And uh, if God keeps his promises in the smallest of those details, then he will keep his promises in the big stuff too. If we can trust God with the smallest of the smallest details, then we can trust God in the big stuff too. And that is a source of peace. Why is that important? Because some of us have faced some stuff, even this week, where we weren't sure we were going to make it. We weren't sure we were going to get through it. The, the sense of loss or the sense of uh, frustration or the sense of whatever. We can trust that God is at work, even in the smallest of the details. And today, we light the candle of joy. Uh, I will simply tell you that some of you have asked, why is the candle of joy pink? And the short answer is, I really have no idea. I mean, that's the, that's the honest truth. I don't have a clue. And if you ask 10 people, you get 12 answers. So there you go, right there, the candle of joy. It is pink. Um, and today, I, I, I want to talk about uh, the dynamics between shame and joy. We'll see it here uh, in the passage. We're going to start in verse 7, and then I got a um, little video for us to help us. Verse 7 of Micah chapter 7. Micah 7, verse 7. <clears throat> Excuse me, but as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Such good news. Verse 8. Rejoice not over me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him until he pleads my cause, until he executes justice for me. He will bring me out to the light and I will look upon his vindication. So we've got a little dynamic between shame and joy. And uh, here's this happened uh, this week. Um, there is a, uh, a reality in which you and I are living right now. Football season is winding down. Or as it's known in my own heart and around my household, football season is also known as basketball preseason. 
Some of that is simply because I am a basketball lover, especially college basketball. The thing that passes for basketball in the professional realm is not really basketball. It's just athletes parading around on a court. But um, social commentary on that later in a different sermon. Um, but college basketball, it's my, it's my jam. It really is. Uh, some of that is also admittedly so um, shaped by when I was a college student, the school that I went to was terrible at football, terrible. And so we always had basketball season to look forward to. Thus, football is simply preseason basketball. This, this though, this happened this week. Um, I watched a lot of basketball during this time, college basketball. Kansas, number five, was playing Creighton, uh, number eight. And uh, they were playing at Allen Fieldhouse in Lawrence. And so uh, nobody beats Kansas, man, uh, in, in Lawrence. It's just one of those things. And uh, this is about a 50-second video. And so I just wanted to help us understand the joy-shame di- joy, dynamic by watching this video here for just a moment. Big three here. Look at that. Mahoney letting it fly again. And his name's Mahoney. How great is that? Cuts it to two. They trap oh, Thompson. Oh. Knock it away. Mahoney for the Mahoney tie. again. Got it. Tied it up. This Seven is an amazing thing. Joy. Joy. Marcus Garrett getting taken to half court. Now Bryce Thompson. Oh, no. The kid in the corner. Wilson a three. Oh. And a huge three for Joy. Kansas. Okay, pause right there. We have gone joy to shame. Did you see that? Right? I mean, they hit the three, made the steal, made the bucket. Now it's all tied. They come down. They leave the kid open in the corner. They have gone from joy to shame. And in the same time, Kansas has gone from shame to joy. Now, that's not all. I mean, that's not the end of this game here. What's going to happen here is uh, this kid is going to miss the free throw. uh, Spoiler alert. And um, uh, Creighton, by the way, the Creighton Mighty Blue Jays, Everybody's scared of them, I know. Um, But Creighton's going to come down. If you're Kansas, what is the one thing? This is basketball 101, and so let me just educate and encourage all of you uh, with with this sport and this lesson. Uh, What is the one thing, if you are Kansas, that you do not want to do? You don't want to foul the three-point shooter, right? Because if you foul him and he makes it, well, it could be a four-point swing and they could win the game. If you foul him and he misses it, he gets three free throws. He could easily tie the game. You want him to shoot. You want him to take a tough shot. You just don't want to foul him while he's shooting. Okay, roll take. Later tonight on ESPN. Oh, the kid misses. All right, here Chance we go. For don't foul. Down to three. Second Don't foul. Oh, my goodness. Pause right there. Let's stop tape. Hold on. Now we have gone. Kansas is joy. They're up three. Has gone to shame because they fouled the three-point shooter. The one thing you don't want to do in that situation is foul the three-point shooter. Caleb Conant, am I right on this? Okay. All right. So now watch. Watch what happens. He'll get three free throws He's a point a guard. He's a shooter. Three free throws. The personal... One. And that's the beauty of college sports. Two. He needs yep. one more. Gotta throw something deep down court. No, he missed the third one. Can you believe it? And now Creighton, the mighty Blue Jays, have gone. Zegarowski missed the third. That would have tied he missed the, the third. They have gone from joy to shame. And Kansas went from, I can't believe I found the three-point shooter, to yay, we won the game. 
My guess is, is that you in your life, especially in 2020, especially in the lives that we live in this chaotic world of ours, you experience that same thing. Shame, joy, shame, joy, up, down, up, down. This is the dynamic of this text. And so I just want to take a minute and walk through this. Uh, let's, let's talk for just a second about this. The, let's talk first of all about joy to shame. Uh, you, you see this here in verse eight, rejoice not over me. Oh, my enemy. Why, why would he need to say that? Because the enemy was indeed rejoicing over him. And then look down at verse 10. Then my enemy will see and shame will cover the one who said to me, um, where is the Lord your God? So the enemy goes from rejoicing over that one to shame, joy to shame. This is the course of the enemy. And we need to hold on to that. This is the course of the enemy. And you, so you see this here um, in the text, but um, just in the broader biblical story, uh, we know that there is an enemy. And at one point he was right there with God in God's presence, Lucifer, the archangel, the, the one who was right there, but then he exalted himself against God, trying to become God, trying to take his place. And he was cast out, <clears throat> excuse me, cast out from heaven, joy in the presence of God to shame. When God made the earth and uh, um, created all of it, he put Adam and Eve in the garden and they, they lived with God. And then the serpent came along and he deceived Eve and then he deceived Adam. And, and th- this enemy had the joy of saying, oh, I have wrecked this perfect world. But then in Genesis chapter 3, when the curses came, the curse that was put upon him was, hey, there's going to come one who you will, you will bruise his heel. That's true, but he will crush your head. And until then you will crawl in humiliation on your belly and the dust is going to be your food. Joy of what seemed like success to shame. And because we don't just read the first few pages of the scripture, we read the whole story. We know that there's another part, another moment when um, the enemy experienced great joy that ultimately ended in great shame. That was when Jesus came and he died um, and the, in, the, the kingdom of darkness and all the forces that are aligned with it, they rejoiced. They thought they had won the day in that moment. But three days later, Jesus rose from the dead, joy to shame. And ultimately and finally, because we know what the end of the story is, we know there's this epic battle and it looks like the enemy's going to win joy, but in the end, shame. Paul in Colossians chapter two puts it this way. He said, he disarmed the rulers, God disarmed the rulers and authority, those spiritual rulers, spiritual authorities. And he put them to what? To open shame, not close shame, but open shame, having triumphed over them in Jesus. This is how God has done this. He put them to open shame, having triumphed over them in Jesus. This is the course of the enemy. But listen, it's also the story of Christmas. Joy to shame. It's also the story of Christmas. Imagine Mary, <clears throat> angel shows up. Mary, I got some news. You're going to conceive by the Holy Spirit. You'll call his name Jesus. He's going to save his people, his people from their sins. And you need to hang on, sister. Like buckle your seatbelt, keep your hands and feet inside of the vehicle at all times because it's going to be quite a ride. Joy. She says, Luke chapter one, my soul magnifies the Lord. And she goes on from there in this beautiful, beautiful song. But then she has to go tell Joseph, hey, Joseph. So how's your salad? Okay, good. Um, There's an angel who showed up and he said, I'm going to get pregnant by the Holy Spirit. We're going to call his name Jesus. He's going to save the people from their sins. And cool, huh? 
And what, what was Joseph's initial response? To put her away, to divorce her, to set her aside. Joy to shame. The, the time came for Mary to uh, give birth great joy, but she had to do so out back in the barn. Shame. She wraps this child, miracle child, joy in these rags, shame, and lays him in a feed trough, a manger. Then, just like every mom who's just given birth, every mom wants this, that you want complete strangers who stink really bad to show up in the hospital room, right? The shepherds show up and she's like, what is that smell? Oh, it's you. And by, by the way, what's your name? Why are you here? Joy to shame. But, but, but that's not even the, the most significant move. Jesus leaves the joy of heaven to come to this chaotic and broken world and humiliates himself, humbles himself, it says, taking the form of a servant, shame. And if I can just put a pastoral parenthesis on this for just a second. There are people who say, hey, look at our world, it's busted. And I say, you're right about that. And they say, why would God let that happen? And then what kind of God would let it happen? And the truth is, is that why God would let that happen, I don't have, a, I don't have an answer to. Not a fat clue. M- most of the things that God does, I'm like, uh, I don't know why you're doing this at all. I don't think I understand. And I don't necessarily need to. I trust you, God, but I don't know why. I cannot assign um, a motivation here. But when they ask the question, what kind of God? would let that happen. That one I do have an answer for. The the very same kind of God who would leave heaven and come to the chaos of this earth, who didn't just spin it into motion and go, good luck kids, see you in a few thousand years, but who stepped into the mire, into the chaos, who came not splitting clouds and and, uh, riding in going, I'm God and I'm here to fix some stuff, but came as a baby. That kind of God is the God that I want to follow. When you're wondering what kind of God, it's that kind of God. Joy to shame. One who would leave heaven to come to this earth. So then let's flip it over now. What about shame to joy? Look look at, if you will, at verse, excuse me, at verse 9. I will bear the indignation of the Lord. Well, I'm I'm sorry, let's back up to verse 8. Rejoice not over me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. Let me pause right there. Let, let's describe our situation. It's, the situation is described as darkness. When, when um, he says that he's sitting there, he's sitting there in darkness. This is how the Bible talks about our kind of spiritual state. We sit in darkness. <clears throat> we, we are spiritually blinded. Um, it is spiritually dark. We do not have a way to navigate the things that are happening around us. And even if we wanted to, we would make a hash out of it in a heartbeat, right? And so I'll just give you this. Uh, my bedroom at my house is wrapping central b- because it's Christmas time. And there are um, rolls of wrapping paper and tape and scissors and boxes. There's all sorts of stuff in my room that is not normally there. And just even this morning, 
I go quietly. It's very dark. I go quietly sneaking out of my room. I've gotten dressed, ready to come here, quietly sneaking out of my room. And the last thing I do before, right before I reach the door handle, I hit a box. Oh, my wife stirs. I'm trying to be super quiet. My toe hurts. I'm like, is it the box's fault? No. Is it my wife's fault? No. It's my fault. Why? Because I'm walking in darkness. This is who we are spiritually. We are walking, excuse me, we are walking in darkness. And um, because we walk in darkness, our tendency, our proclivity, our inclination is to make sure that nobody knows. Because the truth is, is that the darkness is not out here. The darkness resides where? In here. And because we don't want people to know just how dark it is inside, just how dangerous it is inside. There are scissors and rolls of wrapping paper and boxes around in here. Because we don't want them to know, what do we try to do? We hide. And when we hide, that actually makes the darkness, if you will, even darker. And sometimes our hiding, we've seen this this year. Oh, we've seen it this year. Sometimes our hiding comes out as rejoicing in somebody else's stumbling or struggle. And folks, if, if I'm rejoicing, if I'm celebrating somebody else's struggle, somebody else's challenge, somebody else's problem, you know who that sounds like, don't you? Well, well I mean, look at their marriage, gosh. <laughs> Those kids up there. Oh. Yeah, I don't think he could ever. I don't think he's got the horsepower to make. If I'm rejoicing in somebody else's struggle, do you know who that makes me sound like? It makes me sound like the enemy. The Bible's pretty clear. There's, I mean, it's very realistic. There's no joy in the darkness. Look at what he says in verse 8. When I sit in the darkness, he's not saying there you're going to find joy. But what do you find? You find the Lord. The Lord will be a light to me. The Lord will be a light to me. There's no joy in this darkness. The, the, the darkness does ultimately and finally lift. Psalm 30 says it this way. Uh, weeping carries for the night, but joy comes in the morning. The sun will rise. The rain does stop. There are, there are moments when the dawn does break. That's what he says. But right now we're sitting in darkness. The Lord will be a light to me. And the truth is, is that most of us, when we're sitting in darkness, we don't want the presence of God. We want relief, but God's not offering relief. He's offering rescue. And those two things are different. When you describe yourself Certainly describing yourself apart from God, your situation is darkness. That's how the Bible talks about it. So, so let's do a little work here to diagnose our situation. We know what the description is. Look down in verse 9. I will bear the indignation of the Lord. Why? Because I have sinned against him. We have sinned against God. When we diagnose our situation, that's where it has to start for us. I have sinned against God. And in that moment, listen to me, it does not matter if I think the rules are stupid. And it does not matter if I think or feel or what I think or feel about God in that moment. And it doesn't matter what I think or feel about how I'm doing. Whether or not I think or feel that I'm guilty. The one with the authority has said, I have sinned against him. And so I'll just bring it down to where we live. Uh, A few years ago on Valentine's Day, nonetheless, happy Valentine's Day, honey. Um, I was driving uh, really close to our neighborhood and all of a sudden there were red and blue flashing lights behind me. Anybody been pulled over by League City's finest or Webster or Friendswood? Raise your hand. 
You sinners, all of you, I see you out there, every one of us. Officer comes up, roll my window down. Good morning, officer. Good morning, sir. Do you know why I stopped you? Actually, sir, I, officer, I have no idea. I genuinely didn't. He said, well, you failed to come to a complete stop at that stop sign back there. And in that moment right there, listen, it did not matter what I thought or felt about the stop sign. It did not matter how stupid I thought having that stop sign there was. It did not matter if I thought it should have been a yield sign, if I didn't like the color that it was, that, uh, that you know, what I, it didn't matter. It did not matter. It did not matter in that moment what I thought or felt about the officer, whether or not I liked him, whether I wish he was in a cruiser instead of on a motorcycle, um, whether or not he had a cool mustache or not. It did not matter. And it did not matter if I thought that I was innocent of rolling that stop sign. If I felt that I had stopped fully. Why? Because the one with the authority had said that this was the case. So let me hit it one more time. We, when we diagnose our situation, we have to be clear with ourselves to say, we have sinned against God. And it doesn't matter if we think his rules are stupid or outdated. We sin against God. It does not matter how we think or what we feel about God in that moment. We have sinned against him. And it doesn't matter how we think we're doing or what we feel about how we're keeping the rules or how we're staying in line or if we had actually broken something that he had said to do or not to do. It doesn't matter. The one with the the authority had declared it to be so. And his response to it, you see it at the beginning of verse 9, I, Micah says, I will bear the indignation of the Lord. I will bear the indignation. of His response is indignation, and rightly so. Rightly so. He's not going to sweep something under the rug. He's not going to go, eh, no big deal. He's not going to go, oh, well, you know, this stuff is bad, but that other stuff, eh, don't, don't stress that too much. We'll grade on a curve. This is not who God is. <clears throat> and if his response is indignation, our best response is, is confession. Instead of running from him like Adam and Eve did, the very first thing they did was run. Try to hide themselves and make coverings for themselves. Instead of that, to come running to God instead of from him. Our best response is confession. And some of you think, well, I don't know. I mean, if I come before God and I lay these things out, what may happen to me? Uh, Is there any joy to be found in my confession? And if so, uh, if that's you, if you're asking that question, I want to point you backward to the book of Psalms, to Psalm 32, and just listen to how the psalmist describes this. Listen to the joyful language. Blessed, happy, full of joy is the one whose transgression is forgiven whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. Some of you know what that feels like. You, you don't confess and so your bones waste away. Through my groaning all day long, for day and night, your hand, God's hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up by the heat of summer. Now it's raining outside a little cool. Listen, we we've had, we got cooler temperatures coming. Does anybody remember how hot it was in August? I mean, you think about going outside and your eyeballs start sweating. That's how hot it was. This is how the Bible describes unconfessed sin. Your strength is dried up as on a three o'clock August Houston, Texas day. This is what sin does when it's inside of us instead of being confessed. 
Verse 5, I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity. I mean, just think about that. You forgave the iniquity of my sin. And there's where the joy comes right there. Our, his response to our sin is indignation, rightly so. But when we confess, his response is forgiveness and then joy comes. And that leads us to this last little thing that we would inhale grace and exhale joy. Inhale grace and exhale joy. I'm up before most people. In fact, I'm up before everybody in our house, no matter really what day it is. Um, and when it's time to start rousing people or making sure that they're up, one of the tricks is you kind of look underneath the door to make sure that there, there's a light on. And if not, then you got to go get them, right? Well, uh, this is a little bit like that. Our, our confession is simply the door. It's not the source of the light, so to speak. It's just the door. It's the door that opens us to this great room called grace. And when we inhale grace, the thing that we get to exhale is joy. This confession is not the source of our joy. It's just the door. How do you know that? Look again in verse 9. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him. That's our diagnostic situation. But here comes the grace. You ready to inhale with me? Big deep breath here. Until he pleads my cause and executes judgment for me. Until he executes judgment or justice for me. Did you, did you catch that? Because some of us think when we come to God and we come to confess, what we have to do is make our excuses. We need to lay our case out before God. Okay, God, here I am. I know it's the 158th time that I've done this, but let me tell you, uh, I had a bad night's sleep, and then that guy yelled at me at work when I walked in. And by the way, my kids are really a mess. You should probably do something about that. And, uh, you know, him or her or whatever, traffic, whatever. We try to lay out our rationale. This God is why I've done this. But listen to me. You do not have to plead your own cause before God. God. This is the moment where the door kicks open and we just inhale grace. Why? Look at the middle of verse nine until he, please don't miss this until he pleads my cause. God is the one who pleads my cause and executes judgment or justice For me, you and I deserve to have justice and judgment executed on us, but instead he executes justice for us. You and I don't have to come before God and plead our own cause. We have someone who will plead our cause. The judge himself is what it says. John says it this way in 1 John chapter 2. Such an incredible, incredible picture here and promise. 1 John chapter 2 verses 1 and 2. My little children, I write these things to you so that you may not sin. Now, that's good to know. And then I love how tender John is with us. But if, but if anyone does sin, did we qualify this week? Anybody? But if anyone does sin, you need to go to God and make sure that he understands why you sinned. Is that what it says? No, that's not what it says. I'm writing to you these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate. The word there, something along the lines of a defense attorney. We have an attorney. 
an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, and he is the propitiation for our sin and not for our sin only, but also for the whole world. So the good news is, even though you've got neighbors down the street who are better sinners than you are, just like you, they also have an advocate. When we come to God, we have a moment where we don't have to defend ourselves. We have a defender, and his name is Jesus. Inhale grace. Exhale joy. He executes justice for us. How how is there justice for the sinner? Well, we either pay the penalty ourselves, which that never works well, or God sweeps it under the rug, in which case there's no justice, or God absorbs our guilt. He takes it on himself. And in doing so, he remains just. He remains just. And he pays for our sin, both at the same time. God, the judge, sits on the bench and he absorbs it in and of himself through Jesus. And our attorney, our our defender, our advocate comes and the judge bangs the gavel and says, Yes, you are guilty, but now I declare you pardoned. Inhale grace, exhale joy. And listen, I mean, that would be enough. Like that, that would be plenty. We would walk out of here a forgiven people. Ugh, that's good news. But there's more than that. There's more than that. Paul notes this in Galatians chapter 4, and this is what he says. But when the fullness, this is Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, that he might redeem those under the law. That's us. And that's good news because when the judge bangs the gavel, he's saying, hey, listen, you are declared um, not, you are declared not guilty. You are pardoned. Your sin has been paid for. I have taken it upon myself. I have absorbed this blow. But more than that, verse five, to redeem those who were under the law that he might, listen, that we might receive the adoption as sons and daughters. So listen, God not only pardons your sin, there's not only a pardon, but there's an adoption. There's not only a declaration that you are legally okay to leave the courtroom, there's an invitation to then join the very judge who pardoned you at his dinner table as a son or a daughter. There's not only a pardon, there's an adoption. So what does this mean? You are no longer a sinner. That, I mean, that's, that's, that's good. You're, you're not a sinner saved by grace. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. No, 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 you're more than that. You are a person who is certainly saved by grace, but you have been brought into the family of God. You are a son and you are a daughter. You not only are free to leave, but listen, you are free to stay. You are not a servant only. You are also a child. And it was not just a pardon. The judge banged the gavel. And there was also an adoption. And so what, what, what do you do with that? I'm backing up to Micah 7. Look at verse 7. But as for me, I will look to the Lord. That, that's what he's calling you to today. To look to him. Some, some of you have darkness and you need to bring it to him. Some of you have sadness and you need to bring it to him. You, you don't bring sadness to a judge. You bring sadness to a father. 
But as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation and my God will hear me. Your God will hear you. That's when we inhale grace, folks, and we exhale joy. And I just say to every one of you in here, every one of you watching at home, this is the moment where you can say to God the things that you need to say to him. Some of you may be here or you may be at home. And the thing that you need to say to him is, I need a savior. I need someone to advocate on my behalf. I'm not going to get this done by my own self. I'm not. Some of you say, may need to say to him, God, I am limping along here. I'm pretty sure I'm going to bleed out before this is all done. I want you to know that if that's you, God will hear you. He will hear you. Some of you may need to say to him, the confession I need to make is that my eyes have been distracted and I need to, as it says in verse 7, I need to look to the Lord. I need to look to the Lord. For some, you may need to raise your hand and say, God, the waiting is hard. The waiting is hard. But I will wait. I will wait for the God of my salvation, wherever that is for you today. I'm going to lead us in a prayer in just a moment. And if you, you need to say some things to God, this is the time when you get to do that. We'll have some moments where you can reflect and just let this song kind of wash over you. But, but if, if not, listen, if not, then maybe just maybe you want to take a moment and just put some things before God, whatever you need to say to him. Let me pray. And then we'll uh, respond together. Father, in Jesus' name, and for the sake of his kingdom, among those who are here, those who are watching at home, God, I know in the room even, just looking around, knowing the stories, there's some who need a deep, deep breath of grace. So I pray for that. And there are some, no doubt at home, who need that same deep breath. I pray for anybody here or there who doesn't know you. I pray that they would look to the Lord today. They would wait for the God of your, their salvation and you would hear them. God, some of us come limping along, hurting, oh, hurting. Some of us come struggling with the weight. The waiting is hard. Some of us come in any number of other ways. God, may our eyes look to you today and may our prayers be heard. Whatever we say, Father, may we be heard. We're trusting you for that. We inhale that incredible grace that we are welcome before the throne so that we exhale joy. Certainly there's a world out there that's marked by fear. That is the truth. God, we can live as people of joy, so let it be so. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen.